On this edition of the Seacoast Sports Forum, my special guest is Jay Pinsano from the Seacoast Media Group. And that includes the Portsmouth Herald, the Foster Democrat, the Exeter Newsletter, the Hampton Union, and my favorite, SeacoastOnline.com. Hey, Jay, how you doing, sir? Good, and you? Yeah, we got our first dose of winter weather here. <laughs> we did, and uh, people forgot how to drive, as always. Exactly. This first storm, and it's usually a, a mix of everything, and, and that, you're right. Everybody forgets uh, you just take a little lighter on the gas pedal and definitely lighter on the brake. <laughs> yes. Actually, it gets us more in the mood of, of uh, what we're into now. The football playoffs are in, in high gear. Exciting weekend coming up for two divisions will be playing their championship games, three and four. I want to just basically go through the brackets, though, for uh, the folks that are listening. Division four, uh, that is the championship game. That'll be Newport versus Summersworth. Uh, Summersworth, a tough team, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if, uh, how, that, how that shakes out. And then we go on to division three. The uh, Trinity Pioneers will be taking on the number one seed Campbell for the championship in Division Three, And then we move on to Division Two, and Division Two is a semifinal. That's a semifinal this yes. weekend. Uh, Pelham, the Pythons going up against the St. Thomas Saints in the first half of the bracket. The bottom bracket is Plymouth taking on Sauhegan. Uh, any any uh, word on what's going to happen in, uh, for that uh, St. Thomas-Pelham game? Because that's a tough matchup. Yeah, St. Thomas is uh, – uh, they're playing Pelham, who they faced in week two. Um, they were trailing 14 nothing at halftime, and um, that was the Friday night that we had that lightning and rainstorm where a lot of games were suspended. I think Exeter is the only team or the only game that waited out the storm and finished Friday night. So that St. Thomas-Pelham game, they both the coaches agreed at halftime that Pelham would earn the 14 nothing win as the score stood at that point. So um, Pelham has won uh, 39 games in a row. They won last year's Division II state championship uh, in their first year in Division II, moving up from Division III where they won the previous two. Um, so St. Thomas uh, head coach Ed McDonough, he won his 100th uh, career game Last uh, Friday against Keene, uh, not Keene, that was Exeter. They played um, Sanborn last week, so that was win number 100 for him. Um, so he has uh, he 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 says he has a good little game plan for Pelham on Saturday. They get uh, they get a great um, some running backs and uh, Timmy Avery and Trent Salwards and um, Sam Grondon, quarterback Michael Scourin. And uh, basically the St. Thomas plan is to uh, run the ball, run the ball, and then after that they're going to run the ball some more to uh, keep the Pelham offense on the sidelines and hopefully uh, take the air out of the ball and uh, uh, maybe punch in a score or two and hopefully their defense can hold down a, a very explosive Pelham team. So um, I'm expecting Pelham to win that game, but I think St. Thomas is going to give them a, a – certainly a test and a battle for the rights to to move on uh, next week in the Division II state championship game. That's right. The Division II uh, final will be at Stello Stadium in Nashua and uh, scheduled for 1 o'clock. That is in Division II. Now, Division One. <laughs> We're into the next round here, uh, the quarterfinal round. 
were you surprised by anything in the preliminary round? Uh, I was kind of surprised with uh, uh, Dover. Dover lost 56 to 42. Uh, that was at BG. Um, I was not surprised that uh, that BG won that game, but I was surprised. I really liked Dover during the regular season. I was really surprised that they lost that regular season game there at Exeter to drop them down to the ninth seed and to give Exeter the five seed. I thought Dover had a had some good playmakers on offense and a, a very strong defense. So um, I was I, I thought they would uh, avoid that eight nine game, but. Uh, it sounds like when you scored 98, uh, 98 points in a high school football yeah, game, no. I don't know if anybody punted in that game. So, so I think that would be the only surprise, I guess, in in uh, the first round. And then uh, the other Seacoast team that played uh, Spalding lost to Salem, fifty-five to thirty-four. Um, Spalding had a very good uh, um, season. They lost their first four games of the year. Then they won their final five, which enabled them to get to the playoffs. And uh, they just ran into a very good Salem team that had only uh, lost two games all year. And that was to Londonderry and um, Pinkerton. And then uh, the Blue Hawks uh, took care of business uh, against Keene, uh, 31-13 there at uh, uh, Bill Ball Stadium, and uh, which uh, sets them up on a, a very tough matchup, I think, for them. Coming up Saturday afternoon at Londonderry um, in the four-five game, uh, Londonderry won the regular season game thirty-five nothing at uh, um, at Exeter. Um, so I think it's going to be a uh, tall order for Exeter. But uh, if anyone can do it, and if anyone can come up with a game plan to uh, to avenge a thirty-five point loss in the regular season, it's uh, it's Bill Ball and the uh, Exeter Blue Hawks. So I want to be. So I'm expect. I'm expecting Londonderry to win again. I don't think it's going to be that lopsided, but I. Uh, I would not be surprised if uh, if Bill, uh, if Coach Ball, um, does something to uh, to uh, give Londonderry a, a run for its money and uh, perhaps advance to the next round. The Brandon Brown column about. Uh... That matchup, Londonderry Exeter, where Brandon was talking to Coach Ball about strategy, because Londonderry has not one, not two, not three, but four quarterbacks that they utilize in their contest. So basically, you're watching film and you have to figure out what combination is going to go with what passing, running, et cetera, et cetera. And each quarterback has his little idiosyncrasies that you have to figure out. So uh, it is going to be a challenge, but they're going to give the Blue Hawks all they can handle. When I was reading that story by Brandon that you mentioned, uh, I texted uh, I texted Jimmy Lozon, the head coach of uh, Londonderry, and I just asked him if uh, if what I was reading was correct because, as you said, you don't you don't see high schools utilize uh, uh, four quarterbacks uh, in in one game, and um, so I didn't know if that was a one game thing where injuries forced some kids out and and brought some other teams in, but. Uh, but Coach Lozon, who I consider one of the better, uh, if not the best coach in, in New Hampshire, um, he said that's that's what they've done all year. So what Exeter saw in, uh, I believe it was week four, is something Londonderry's done all season. And uh, Coach Lozon said that uh, um, you can expect the same uh, type of uh, personnel 
on Saturday in the quarterfinal game where it, uh, as you said, as coach ball said, uh, it's really makes it difficult for defenses when you have to prepare for four different styles of quarterbacks. Cause each one does something different to, to, uh, to lead their team. So uh, I think it'd be easier to, fo- to focus on one type of quarterback and, and what one does well, but when you have to, Prepare for four. It, it certainly makes the the job a lot harder. Well, one thing you know it, that uh, Coach Ball uh, and he makes sure the defense is tuned up, especially when we get into this particular time of the season. Because uh, yeah, a team like Londonderry can score fast and often, so he has to figure those combinations out and slow it down and and keep the pace at a Blue Hawk pace. Let's put it that way. Correct. And uh, yeah. that defense has been that extra defense has been has been strong all year. They've only uh, they've only allowed uh, 13 points a game, and only uh, and, and only two teams have scored more than 20 points against them this year. And one of them being Londonderry, and um, the other one being uh, Portsmouth, or earlier on in the year. And you take those two uh, games out of the equation, and uh, Exeter's defense has been strong all year. And uh, that's a defense that uh, Coach Ball didn't know what he was getting into. This uh, this fall, as he had to replace, uh, not um, it, it, he had to replace a lot of starters on uh, both sides of the ball, especially right. on defense. Well, you brought up the uh, Portsmouth Oyster River Clipper Cats. Let's uh, let's talk about the brackets. The three top seeds got a bye last week: Pinkerton, Portsmouth, Oyster River, and and Bedford. So those were the tr- three top seeds: one, two, three, in that order. Um, the top bracket: Pinkerton will be hosting Bishop Girton, and we saw Bishop Girton put on an offensive show against Dover, but Dover held their own for at least four, almost into the middle of the fourth quarter when when uh, finally BG took it away. Uh, other half of the bracket there is Londonderry Exeter. Uh, so it's going to be, that's, that's going to be two really tough contests in the quarterfinals. But now in the bottom bracket, you got number two seed, Portsmouth Oyster River. They'll be taking on and hosting Nashua North, and then in uh, the bottom of that bracket, the Bedford Bulldogs taking on Salem. Let's talk about the uh, Portsmouth Oyster River Clipper Cats. Uh, what's your take on that matchup against Nashua North? Yeah, they went. Uh, Portsmouth went undefeated uh, the season. They went eight and zero in uh, in uh, Division One, and um, they were they had a very strong offense. As as uh, Brandon Brown wrote in a story about uh, Portsmouth at the beginning of the week, uh, uh, Coach Pafford. Um, he envisioned at the end of last season, he envisioned uh, quarterback to be Aiden Thomas and running back to be Cole McLaughlin and Angus Moss was going to be a wide out. Uh, Angus being the the cousin of former Exeter place kicker, uh, Ethan Moss. Uh, so he felt good about those three skill guys at the end of last year going into 2023. But then he had two, he had two kids basically fall on his lap where you got Emmanuel Poe, um, who transferred into Portsmouth uh, during April vacation last spring. He was a very uh, good slot receiver for Marshwood uh, last season. So they added Emmanuel Poe that Coach Pafford knew about. And then at at the beginning of uh, football um, this summer, when equipment was handed out in in August, uh, Brooks Connors, actually uh, picked up equipment at Winnicott, uh where he played the previous two years 
And then uh, later in the week, he, uh, uh, I don't know the details of what happened, but he, he changed his mind and he, uh, he went to, he went to go move in with another family member uh, and enrolled in Portsmouth. So, so uh, Brooks Connors has, uh, has been a workhorse in, in, in the backfield. Him and Poe have combined for uh, 11 touchdowns this year. Um, Poe with six and, and Connors with five and, Connors is probably uh, one of the, the team's best linebackers. So when Pafford was very comfortable with Aiden Thomas and Cole McLaughlin and Angus Moss going into the lineup, um, and then when you add two other skill guys, I think that had the perfect recipe for uh, the season that Portsmouth had. Uh, they went 8-0. and uh, They really didn't have uh, – the only, the only two uh, close games they had was uh, – they beat Dover 24-22 in week three. And then they had a their only other one-score game was a 13-7 win against Merrimack in the second to last game of the regular season. Other than that, they really weren't tested. Uh Exeter gave them a um a somewhat of a game with uh with a 20 to 6 final. Um so they've had a great year, and I expect them to uh take care of business against uh a very good National North team on Friday night. That game has been moved to Friday at six o'clock. It was originally uh, Saturday at one, but that is now that is now Friday at six. Okay. So, um, if, if we were to look into the crystal ball, going down to the uh, my my prediction before you even ask, <laughs> um, my prediction for a championship game. There's all three top seeds are tremendous football teams. But I only see one of those uh, getting to the final. Um, I am taking Londonderry versus Bedford wow. in the finals with uh, the fourth-seeded Lancers uh, coming away with their second state championship in three years. Well, uh, you know, you're right. I was going that direction. I was just looking at the attorney uh, champions. Again, Bedford is the defending champ going into this year's tournament. Uh, they came up a winner, 15-14, got past Londonderry last year. Londonderry was a champion the previous year over the Winnicott Warriors in 21. Um, yeah, I, I, whoever gets into that, I mean, I, I would say it, would, That's gonna be a great it is going to be a great contest. I mean, I'd love to see Exeter pull an upset and, and Exeter get into, hopefully uh, Pinkerton just dominates over BG. This is my own two cents. Uh, and it would be an Exeter versus Pinkerton going for the, for the Marvels to get to the finals. Uh, that would be the match I'd love to see. Am I am I confident? Uh, I think we're going to put on a good show against London Dairy. But you're right, uh, Jimmy knows how to coach over at London Dairy, and uh, uh, Bill Ball will have his hands full. But you know, it's it's chess masters now at this point. You got you got these guys that have got a lot of experience going going for all the marbles or all Correct. for the trophies. Uh, and and with the eight teams that are left, you could make a case for almost six of those eight teams where they have a legitimate chance to not only get to the championship game, but to, to win it all. So I think that makes, I think that sets up for a very good uh, final three weeks of football here in uh, division one and London there is the, their only loss of the season was four points to Pinkerton. Uh, so I think that gives them uh, some confidence if they were to, if both teams were to advance to the semifinals, uh, I think that would be another great matchup there. I think whatever matchups, however it plays out this weekend, the following Saturday, the semifinal round, you're going to have two great games, no matter 
what four teams are left. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, the somebody was asking me uh, last week when the championship game is. It's scheduled for Saturday the 25th at a site to be determined. It's all based on how they come shake out this next uh, next couple of rounds. So uh, it potentially could be at Bill Ball Stadium, William Ball Stadium. Uh, but there again, uh, right now it's at the higher seed for the quarters and the semis. So we'll uh, we'll keep people posted on that one. I want to change gears. I want to go big news since we spoke last. The Red Sox went out and and uh, hired a uh, not a general manager. They're calling him a baseball operations, I don't know, guru, whatever the title they gave him. It wasn't general manager. Um, Craig Breslow, former pitcher for the Red Sox. Uh, they've got the general manager's meetings going on out West and a lot of talk about where players will go. The big piece of the puzzle everybody's looking for is uh, Otani, where he'll wind up. Um, other names are being floated out there. First off, what was your take on Breslow and uh We'll talk about where you think people will be heading, but first about Breslow. Since you're a season ticket holder, you're 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 you've got a vested interest in this thing. I'm a part owner, right? It'll be the season you're ticket. You're a part owner. owner. I'm a minority owner. Yes. Um, I think I think Craig Breslow was the best potential candidate of the ones that did not care to interview for the job. There were many high-level candidates that either declined to interview from the beginning or they pulled themselves out of consideration. Um, Why that is, there's been a bunch of theories going around where there's been too much turnover in the past few years and they couldn't, with Cora already being in place, they couldn't name who they wanted to bring in as their field manager um, and who was actually going to be running the show. So I think um, Craig, I think Craig Breslow fits a very uh, good skill set of being a, he's, he's an Ivy leaguer. It seems like all these new director of baseball operations or a net or former Ivy league graduates and uh uh but i think what what tilts the um the the uh, i think what will do well for breslow is that he does he combines the analytics the new age analytics with he's been there before he's he's a he's a former player he's uh he's played in boston he knows what it takes to win in boston he knows the type of players that can thrive in Boston, and he know he probably knows the type of players who probably may be a good fit elsewhere. But when they're thrown into the mix in Boston, they may not succeed. Pedro Martinez was asked the question during the playoffs, uh, you know what what the Red Sox needed for a new general manager, and and he, he facetiously volunteered for the job because he said you have to know the marketplace for one thing the fans of boston you have to be able to understand where they're coming from and and that's very important and i think breslov will have that in his favor he spent you know several seasons with the red sox and and being part of uh, new england he was a yale grad and all that 
he he knows he knows where he's where he's uh, what he's in for. Um, so it, it was a case of uh, a column that Dan Shaughnessy did in the Globe this week. I, I thought you might appreciate this. He is a well-spoken. Breslow is well-spoken. Matter of fact, at times uh, during his press conference when they introduced him last week, uh, some of the comments kind of blew Shaughnessy away. Now, here's one of them. Uh, and this is from the Shaughnessy column. The idea of deploying our players in a way that maximizes positive outcomes by creating the most favorable matchups we can is a term that I would call optimization. And I think that synthesizing analytical information now that was from Breslow and, and uh, Shaughnessy was going back to the old school GMs and he took this from Lou Gorman during the Roger Clemens days. This is Lou Gorman's quote, the sun will rise, the sun will set and I'll have lunch. <laughs> Talk about times changing. It's a whole different, whole different era. That's a, that's a classic Lou Gorman quote. That's often, uh, re, that often resurfaces. And I, I've always enjoyed that one. The other Lou Gorman quote that I liked was, where would we play Willie McGee? Yeah, where would we play so. Willie McGee? Exactly. Now, <laughs> let's before we go into the World Series, I want to get your take on that. What do you think about all this uh, free free agent market uh, challenge that's out there? Where, 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 where do you think some of it's going? We need, the Red Sox need to bring in a bona fide number one starter. That is right. the priority. They Some would argue that they need to bring in two starters. Uh, whether that be by trade or by free agency. Um, I think they have the depth in the minor league system to go out and trade for a kid like maybe Dylan Cease from the White Sox. Or um, they could go out and spend money and bring in Jordan Montgomery from the World Series champion Texas Rangers. Uh, They could bring in Aaron Nola from the Phillies. They could bring in uh, uh, my... My wish list is I hope they I hope they bring in the Japanese pitcher. Um, I believe his name is Yomomoto, Yamamoto, but I, I may be I may be pronouncing that incorrectly. But that is my that is the that is the top of my wish list. But whether by trade or by free agency, they need to address the pitching staff, the top the top end of the pitching staff. Uh, you can't go in into twenty twenty four. With Bayo and Chris Sale um, and whoever else, you need to bring in two starters, and then if you can bring in two bona fide top of the top of the line starters, you can have Bayo as your third. You can have Chris Sale as your fourth, and then you can have a uh, choice of Tanner Houck, Garrett Whitlock. I don't know if they bring back James Paxton. Um, as your number five guy, and as we all know, the five starters you go you start the season with, you probably need at least three or four more before the season's over. And I think the only exception there was when the Red Sox went wire to wire in 2004 with their rotation of Martinez, Schilling, Wakefield, Derek Lowe, and Bronson Arroyo, where each one of those starters started every every game so um so they need to bring in pitching and they need to address second base and i'm hearing i'm hearing reports out of the general manager's meeting like you mentioned that's being taken uh that's being uh held in arizona there's um alex verdugo's name has been thrown out there um with the yankees too so it's, it's always good when they have a potential 
Red Sox to Yankees trade where I've heard maybe one for one swaps with him and Glaber Torres. And that would if if they were to do that trade, that would address the second base um vacancy the Red Sox have that he's a right-handed batter. He had 25 home runs last year. Uh, I think he would play well at Fenway Park with his swing. And then another um potential name I've seen is uh Clark Schmidt, a uh, re- a starting pitcher with the Yankees. Um I don't know why the Yankees would trade a young starting pitcher for Verdugo who has uh one year left on his contract. He did um Verdugo did have a good year defensively last year, but I think his offensive numbers were down uh throughout. So I think second base a right-handed batter, and then uh, addressing the uh, top of the rotation is the primary goals that Breslow has had. And who knows, maybe they come up and surprise everybody and open up the checkbook and hand Shohei a blank check and say, fill it in. I think the Dodgers are going to take him away. Yeah. I think the Dodgers are the favorite right now. That's what they're saying. Yeah. He, 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 I think he prefers to stay on the West Coast, A, because of obviously being close to the entertainment business and also the weather. <laughs> yeah. It's a little, it's a little nicer than uh, what we're dealing with today with, with yeah, my exactly. winter hat on. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I it's almost kind of neat though, when it comes to the Yankees to see Brian Cashman after all these years, finally they're turning the jets up on him, you know, and saying, Hey, uh, we got a team we got to produce. So it's going to be interesting since, to see what David won since 2009. I know, which was the, I know so. which was the first year of the uh, of New Yankee Stadium, and and the funny thing is they were their model was always you know pay whatever to get the talent in name brand talent bring the people and sit in the seats. Uh, the Dodgers kind of stole that away from them yeah. and some of the West Coast teams, so it's going to be interesting. I have to ask you what what oh, well first off, who do you think Otani? Where Shohei Otani will wind up? Where where do you think? Where do uh, I think I like either you either what you said the Dodgers or I think Seattle would be a good fit as well. Um, I think he's again he's I think Ichiro Suzuki is uh, mm-hmm. is uh, pitching uh, him to go to Seattle where where Ichiro had most of his his career in the major leagues and um, I've seen Texas as a be as a as a potential landing spot for Shohei and. Um, I also heard the Cubs. The Cubs might might uh, might be aggressive as well. So I think if yeah. if, if you, a handful of teams, I think one would be the Dodgers, two Mariners, three um, Rangers, and four and five Cubs Red Sox. So, you know, so one of those funny, five. You, I was just going to say it's funny the Yankees. You know, don't seem to be. They'd love to have him, but right now they're just kind of like. Eh, imagine him. In, imagine him in. Uh, in that right field, that right field oh, yeah. porch there, where a pop up is a is a home yeah. run. How many home runs he could hit at that ballpark? That's crazy. I know, I know, yeah. I know. Well, the World Series uh, is over and done with. The Rangers won their first ever championship, and uh, they took out the Arizona Diamondbacks. I think I, I watch it because I'm a baseball fan. I know you are. But I think Fox was like, oh, no, Philadelphia's not in it. Uh, the Dodgers aren't in it. Uh, you got two Southwest teams. Uh, what, what, as a fan, what what did you make of it? I liked seeing Nathan Ivaldi go out there and pitch like he did for the Red Sox when they won the World Series in 2018. 
He, uh, I believe he had five wins in the postseason. Uh, he got the win in that final game, and he just showed that when October, when the calendar turns to October, give Nathan Uvalde the ball, and you have a pretty good chance you're going to win the game. So I was, it was good to see a team that has never won uh, win their first World Series. That's always great for a organization a fan base who has never experienced a World Series championship. Uh, Arizona has, um, I believe they've uh, they've been in the league 26 years, and they won in 2001 with that epic World Series battle against against the Yankees when when uh, Luis Gonzalez hit that opposite field little blooper into shallow left field where if the infield wasn't playing in, that's caught by Jeter. Um, uh, so it was good to see them in the World Series, but uh, I like Texas. I like the they have a good uh, mix of veterans and youth, which is always good. Um, uh, Seager was unbelievable in the in, in the playoffs, and him getting the World Series MVP that was justified. And, mm-hmm. and Simeon did well with that uh, uh, his play at second base, and then he kind of flinched that game uh, game. Uh, six victory um, with that, uh, that, I'm sorry, game five victory with that home run to left field in the ninth inning there. So I was glad to see uh, Texas win, not only for all the players on that team, but Evaldi. And and it's it's always good to see uh, a fan base experience a uh, World Series championship for the first time. One move that kind of surprised me that uh, you brought him up, the Cubbies, uh, they didn't steal him, but uh, they they took uh, Craig Council from the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah. His contract had expired, and he didn't want to renew. He even though he's a Wisconsin boy, he decided he'd take the money and and head to uh, Wrigley Field. It's going to be interesting next year when those two teams yeah. meet up. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a big rivalry because that's only like an hour and a half away, Milwaukee and Chicago. Yeah. Because I've made that drive a few times, and um, um, yeah, I think he's now the highest paid manager. You know, of all yeah. time, and I think he's also the highest paid, basically head coach of any any of the four major sports with an average salary of uh, eight and a half million dollars. Well, two minute drill time. Anything you'd like to throw on the table that we haven't brought up today, or anything about the upcoming football or whatever? Yeah, I, th- I think the only I think that I think what I like to get out there just so everyone is uh, everyone uh, is on the same page here is, as we talked about off air. The uh, the Exeter Winnicott football rivalry. Um, um, it was announced during the during the game of the regular season. That was uh, that was uh, that was the hundredth meeting. Um, but actually, that was a little um, off. Uh, I talked to. I had a different number, and um, then uh, then we then what you, you announced, and uh, so we talked, and uh, um, and I talked to both Ryan Francoeur and. Uh, Bill Ball, just to make sure that I, I I didn't care I didn't care who was right I just wanted to to make sure that we accurately had the when uh, when when the what the annual game was at and uh, uh, that game was um, that game was the ninety fourth meeting where uh, next uh, where Exeter holds a uh, sixty two to thirty to two um, advantage in the series so Exeter's won sixty two times. Winnicottage won 30 times and um, um, two ties. So I had him. I had it at 95 this year, but um, 
Coach Ball checked with the NHIAA because I had the I had one of those games being the non-played forfeit during the 21 season where Exeter had to forfeit two days before their playoff game at Winnicott. So that is what I counted that as a Winnicott win, which it was, and I counted that as one of the games. But that was called a no contest by the NHIAA. So that technically dropped what I thought was 95 down to 94. So next year, that'll be the 95th season or 95th meeting between the uh, two schools. And um, there has been talk between both coaches um, to what is the possibilities of starting in, in if if not an annual, a semi-annual Thanksgiving Day game between the two great rivals of Exeter and Winnicott. And how great would that be for all the alumni, for all the current players, for all the communities to have Exeter Winnicott football on a Thanksgiving morning? Um, that would be a tremendous, uh, that would be tremendous. And I hope it's able to get worked out. Um, I would love to see that. Um, uh, so, so we get, uh, 100 is coming soon, but it wasn't this past year. So, Well, I'm glad you cleared that up because, you know, I I read something that was handed to me just before the game at, at Exeter the, when we played Winnicott this year, and uh, I didn't really study it, and I wish I had now. But I'm glad I'm glad you, you did your just do and, and, and your homework and, and got it all figured out, and now we know where we stand. Accuracy is important, and this, especially when it comes to stats like that. And I'm glad you you looked into it and got it all figured out. That is very good of you to do that. Um, I I just wanted to uh, wrap up my two minute drill by saying to the teams that got into the tournaments, congratulations, and to the champions that have been decided so far, congratulations. Now we'll put the icing on the cake with the football tournament, and the champion of Division One will be decided. On Saturday, November 25th, 1 o'clock, at a location to be determined. And uh, good luck to all the teams that are still involved. Uh, now, your pick again for the final two. We're going to hold you this, Jay. I, I'm picking uh, Londonderry over Bedford in the final. So that will be the number four seed beating the number three in the uh, Division One state championship. So I don't know if I jinxed, just jinxed uh, Jimmy Lozon <laughs> and the Londonderry Lancers, but nah. – Nah, we'll I think see. I think you you get uh, some good teams that are involved and uh, whoever gets in there it's going to be a slobber knocker. Uh, the two teams that, that go for the yeah. for the title on the twenty fifth Saturday the twenty fifth and again to be determined. It'll be a football contest to be remembered. They they don't go down. Everybody goes down swinging. I mean everybody is putting it all out on the field. Let's put it that way. Nobody nobody goes home. Nobody goes home with their head hanging low. Uh, all right. So on behalf of our Guest today, Jay Pinsano and you, Seacoast Media Group. That includes Portsmouth Herald, Foster's uh, Democrat. Uh, we're looking at the Hampton Union, Exeter Newsletter, but more importantly, Seacoast Online. That's where I grab all of sure. your columns and uh, Brandon and the gang. Uh, you guys do a great job. Thank you. You do. You do a fine job. And hopefully we can get some of those guys on with us maybe sometime. We can do a round yeah. table on sports. Maybe we'll win the seat. Yeah, we can. Uh, let's, let's plan that one for the next time because I'm sure uh... – Brandon and uh, Terrell Covey, and uh, who knows, maybe we can get the veterans, yeah. uh, Mike Whaley and Al Pike on here as Please. well. That'd be great. To get, yeah. uh, that'd be a lot of knowledge hey, there. I would. I really would love to see that happen. We'll have like a yeah. little 
space in between when football yeah. season ends and the winter season starts. That, my friend, we've got to yeah. make that happen. That will be a dynamite program. So on behalf of Jay Pinsono from the Seacoast Media Group, I'm Sherm Chester, inviting you to join us for the next edition of the Seacoast Sports Forum podcast.